Go ahead, if you've got your Bibles, grab those, stay standing or or stand with us, and uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 27 through 30 this morning. I invite Megan up to read for us. She's already here. So, um, Megan, I will pass it off to you as you read from uh, the Word of the Lord this morning. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I give you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and everything that has breath and life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Megan. Father, we uh, uh, come to you as we already have so many times this morning, just uh, acknowledging our our need for you, acknowledging our, our dependence upon you. Acknowledging that you've given us your word, um, not as just something for us to study and to gain more knowledge, but something for us to submit ourselves to, something for us to um, put ourselves under, to listen to, to be shaped by, to be conformed by. And so, Lord, um, we know that that work has to be a work of your spirit, opening up our eyes and our hearts and our ears to what it is you'd have for us. And so, um, Lord, on, on especially this day, well, really every day, but when we're talking about something that can be as controversial as as womanhood, Lord, I just pray that you would be with us, um, Lord, that you would just work in, in a mighty way in each of our lives and our hearts. Um, and so, Lord, we give you this time. We ask for your favor. We ask for your help. I certainly ask for your help. Um, and, and, Lord, pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, I, I certainly am praying for help because we're talking about women today. Um, and as you can tell, I am not one. Um, and so there's a certain amount of, of trepidation that you come into a topic like this. You know, last week we talked about uh, manhood and biblical manhood and what it means to walk in faithfulness to that. And this week it's um, womanhood. And, um, and so certainly, like I said, there's some, some fear there. And so if you see me like attach myself a little bit more to my notes, it's probably because I, I'm a little more afraid of ad-libbing today. Um, that tends to get me in a little bit more trouble. Uh, at least that's what my wife would tell me. So um, I'm going to take her wisdom on that. And so if you see me attach more to this, um, that's the reason why. But you know, when we come to the idea of biblical womanhood, like this is a, one of those concepts that um, like it has generated all kinds of stuff within the church, right? I mean, um, Bible studies, different sermons, different podcasts, women's ministries, and, and so many other things. And, and for a lot of gals that have grown up in the church, like that's been a life-giving thing. Like it's been a good thing. But we also have to recognize that for some, when we talk about uniqueness of women and womanhood and, and what it looks like to be a, a woman who's approved by God, like there's a certain amount of uh, tension and fear because they've experienced difficulties or challenges or, or people have seen things or taken things in God's word and, and used them in negative ways that are hurtful and, and wounds. We recognize that that's all present. And we also have to recognize, too, the church throughout history, hasn't been perfect in dealing with the ideas of of womanhood and what that looks like and what we should value and what we should support and look to. And 
And, and so the church has been challenged in that space at times. Uh, even today, there's certain elements that would kind of promote a godly feminism, whatever that means. But there's that. But then there's also the church in its history that has kind of propped up this idea of the 1950s housewife, you know, barefoot and pregnant kind of idea. And so listen, like we, we recognize like the church isn't perfect either. You add to that our culture and you get massive confusion because they certainly don't know or have the right idea or right view of women and the roles that they should have, the value that they have, the expectations that should be put upon them. Like there's confusion everywhere, just like there was with men. And we know that that confusion comes from the enemy because he doesn't want us to live the way God called us to live, the, God, the way God made us to live. But so, like I said, in our culture, there's limitless mixed signals all the time. Young ladies growing up at one point saying, hey, like, you look fine just the way you are, and yet we have certain idolization of certain body types and the way certain gals look. And, and then we say, well, we're going to fight for the respect of all women. But at the same time, our culture fights for and proclaims that there's value in stuff like pornography which couldn't devalue women more, right? So mixed signals all over the place in regards to what it is to be a woman. So, so what do we do in that space? Well, as always, we want to look to the Word of God. It does give us a vision for womanhood. And it's His vision. It's not my vision, it's His vision. And I want to make sure we're clear here today. My goal today isn't to answer every single issue that's facing women or the church in regards to women. To be honest with you, as I approached this sermon, my goal was as a dad of two daughters, as an uncle of nieces, as a husband, as a shepherd who wants to anchor us, our women, our girls, and our men in God's vision and what he calls us to be as we want to walk faithfully as women and men in this world. Now, as I said last week, we're talking about a topic that some could just easily check out, right? Like this is, though, I want to remind us for everybody in this space, whether you are married whether you're single, single, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you're a widower, a man, this is for you so you know what to cherish in your wives, how to pray for your wives, how, what kind of woman you want to look to, young men, uh, to marry, what kind of characteristics you should have as you're seeking to disciple and engage with other women or young girls in, in this world. Like, how do you raise them up? Like, what does that look like? How do you raise up daughters? How do you raise up granddaughters? So this is for everyone. It's for everyone. And I hope we see it that way. And what we know is Scripture paints for us a very robust image for women. Women who are approved by God. There is, of course, the famous Proverbs 31, but if you read through scriptures, you also know that we have women who, in Egypt, they went against Pharaoh and saved Moses and other babies of the Israelite nation. Deborah leads the people of Israel into battle with great courage. Jael, who with cunning, kills a man that men had failed to be obedient to kill. That's a great story for your kids. It involves a tent peg and all kinds of stuff. It's really exciting. Uh, you got Rahab, a prostitute, right, who, who makes the decision to save and rescue spies at tremendous risk to herself, and because of that, ends up in the lineage of Messiah. 
right? Abigail, who saves her husband from the justice of David, right justice from David, with her wisdom and her boldness. Esther, who's a queen who saved her people. Ruth, who stepped into the care of her mother-in-law and proved tremendously faithful and strong. Mary, who accepted the call of God with courage and boldness to be made pregnant with the Messiah. Lydia, who came to faith in Jesus and financed much of the early church in the, in the city of Philippi. Lois and Eunice, who, whose faith is marveled at by the apostle Paul. I could go on, but I think that you get the point that women in the scripture are anything but simple, one-dimensional, weak, subservient wives and mothers. They are strong and bold and faithful, full of character. They are courageous. With that in mind, understand that today, as with yesterday, I am speaking with some generalities. Those generalities are not always going to be exclusive. So, for example, I may say that most women are more nurturing than most men. Now, that may not be true for some. And, and here's what we do. We understand it's a scale, right? You might say most men are less nurturing than most women. But on that scale, there's all kinds of expressions in between. And so I, I say that to say that my goal is not to pay, place you in, in a box or to put you in comparison with other women or to make you feel shame in any way, shape, or form, but to consider how you are wired exactly. Because ultimately the goal is to give us a vision for the uniqueness of your femininity and then take and basically have that uniqueness and take that uniqueness within the circumstance that God has put you in and then live it out as you bear his image. An image that was stamped upon you, upon your creation. That's the point. It's not about pink dresses and dolls in which sports girls should play, and which careers they should have, and all those types of things. It's not about that. It's so much more dynamic, and it's so much deeper than that. And it's anchored in the text that we read today in Genesis chapter 1. Women are made in the image of God too. They are made in the image of God as well. And they bear specific aspects of God's nature and character that we do not see as clearly in men. He created women to reflect components of his nature that are unique to them, things men don't have. I love how Nancy Piercy puts it in a phenomenal book that if you haven't read, you need to. It's called The War on Toxic Masculinity. I could not, um, I could not um, just encourage you to read that more, but she says this. The implication is that there are some things that we learn about God best from women. Just as there are some things we learn best from men. And any man who disrespects women will have a deficient view of God. You catch that importance? The value and the uniqueness of how women are made is vital to our ability to understand the one who made both male and female. To bear his image in this world. So our vision has to begin, our vision to be faithful women has to come from and begin with the reality that you are made in the image of God. And to erase any of those components is to erase aspects of God that he has given to you to glorify his name. So I want to start by looking at certain components that are given to both male and female but are uniquely worked out in women. 
Genesis gives both male and female a mandate. It's the same mandate that we talked about last week. It's to go into all creation, bearing God's image, subduing, having dominion, multiplying in this world. And they may tend, that may tend to play itself out very differently, but, but we need to start with what that looks like as women. So first and foremost, just like men, women are also made to work and to create. Both are made to work and create. Now, here's what's interesting. This can get a little bit muddy for us in our day and age because there has been a segregation really since the Industrial Revolution between work of the home or domestic affairs and a secular world, secular affairs. Like that didn't really exist prior to the Industrial Revolution. Meaning that there seems to be, in our day and age, a great battle between work outside the home and inside the home regarding both value and engagement. It's in the last 200 years, there's been a greater value in some places, and in many places, put upon work that's outside the home. Because that's where we see and get this idea that someone leaves the house and goes out into the workforce and earns paper money to be able to then provide for our families. Here's the thing, for all of history, this wasn't really the case. All work within a family and from an individual was seen as valuable based on its ability to provide for the needs of family, self, and community. Both male and female were part of the value process. So, so let's just be specific about what this looked like for most of history. The man may have gone out and plowed and planted and harvested grain, with which his physical strength helps him accomplish. But women, they help thresh it, grind it, turn it into flour, bake it. Both roles were necessary. There wasn't a value war going on as to which one was better, right? Nobody was saying, well, the guy's better because he's out planting the field, and the girl, she's less valuable because she's grinding the grain and turning it into flour. Like, that didn't exist, and it's not just that. It's also when it comes to livestock or comes to, um, you know, felling a field or running a store or any of those types of things that have historically been. Like, you did it as a family. There wasn't a segregation between what was outside the home and what was inside the home. Everyone worked together, and the work of each was seen as valuable, important, and vital. When you think about engagement, it's an interesting thing when we think about engagement. And you talk about engagement in the home, engagement with our kids. In so many ways, it seems like the fight today is about who gets to be most engaged or who has to be most engaged at the home. Who gets to leave who gets to leave and go out into the world and then come back with the expectations of rest versus the role that has to, or gets to stay home and rear the children and take care of the house, making it a home, as if that's not equally as difficult and, and, and creates equally as much work. See, again, for much of history, it wasn't always this way. See, at a very young age, boys would have been working alongside their fathers, it would have been helping take care of the livestock, helping plant the, 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 the grain, helping in the blacksmith, helping in the market. They would have been being discipled and taught. They would have been assisting in the home. They would have been assets to the home, assets to the community. And so biblically, throughout history, what we see is that both male and female, regardless of working in or out of the home, are to remain engaged in the home it is not to be a place of solitude for one. 
and a place of work for the other. That is a new age idea, and it is not that way in the Bible. It hasn't been that way for most of history. See, we are to come together and work mutually for the good of the home, self, the kids, and the community. In my opinion, the conversation is wrong because it takes in a dysfunctional view of work as if there's some kind out of the home and some kind in the home, when in reality, both are supposed to be engaged in the home. Now, we do recognize that within the world, within workplaces, inside and outside the home, there are certain things that are uniquely gifted or uniquely presented for women. So, for example, the Department of Labor makes it clear that in 2019, when they did a study, 70, almost 75% of all workers in education and health services were, guess what, women. In construction, it's only about 10%. Now, why do you think that is? This truth isn't because there's millions of women that are banging down the doors to become construction workers. That's not the reality of it. The truth is that they're not being kept from construction. Most of them just don't want to do construction. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not some that do. It's just that's not how they're made. That's not how they're wired. It's not typically how they're built to bear God's image. They don't lean towards careers that utilize physical strength, but careers that utilize more strength of care, nurturing, tenderness. Here's the point. We celebrate God's creative power and strength in the ability to make mountains, Mount Everest. I don't know if you've ever seen that or flown by it. I was talking to a friend of mine. I had the privilege of flying over Mount Everest one time, and I just, I just remember staring at that being like, God is huge. And he is so powerful to speak that into existence. And he has such physical and amazing strength and power. But that same God also is celebrated when we look at his gentle care that is reflected in the creative work of making a delicate spider web that holds the morning dew. It is rare that you find the ability to do both in one person. And God has made us unique and women may be more geared towards one aspect of that, men towards another, but God does both. And he does both beautifully. And they're both valuable. Women, do not let the culture shame you for wanting to use your natural image-bearing potential if it leads you to stay at home, if it leads you to be a nurse or an architect or anything else. Celebrate how God has made you and the way he's made you and realize that you, whether you work away from the home or in the home, that there is never an excuse for men or women to, or a woman to be disengaged from the home. Both are to be engaged. There should never be that fight. Next, not only are both men and women given this calling to work and to create, but both are given the calling to provide. Both women and men provide. You see that specifically in Proverbs chapter 31. If you read through that famous text, it speaks of a woman who gathers wool and flasks and clothing and food for eating and sustaining, not only for their own children, but for those that are in proximity to them. You are made women, all of you, at all ages and circumstances, to provide for yourself and for those around you. The men of Boaz's field harvested, while Ruth went and gathered and gleaned. But that was a good thing. 
That was a beautiful thing. So how has God uniquely made you as an image bearer to provide? Is it through gathering at the store? Is it through gathering information to make wise investments with family funds? That's actually in Proverbs chapter 31. Is it gathering data and for an important family decision that you have to make? Is it gathering resources to make uh, the church, VBS, the best that it's ever been? Or gathering people together to create a meal train for somebody else? And like, we're both called to provide, both called to gather. We both do, do that in unique and special ways. Next, both are given uh, the, uh, the, the calling to protect. Now, some of this we know. Some of this we think about in terms of men. Like if a robber breaks into your house with a gun um, or into this church with a gun, like we want to typically and we typically instinctively are going to send the men out to go protect and to fight that battle, to go fight that war. Now, there may be a few of you that are like, no way, I'm doing that. Uh, and I mean, certainly the culture doesn't like that idea. I and mean, it goes against the grain of culture. But, but here's that we understand that that's kind of how men are built in. This strength to go face an enemy in the midst of battle, to protect his loved ones, to protect his community. And in a way, we see that this images God's ferocious power and protective heart to battle for his people. This idea of being strong and courageous because the strength of the enemy in front of you pales in comparison to the Lord. Like many reflect that, but you know women do too. Have any of you ever heard the term mama bear? Like some of y'all are laughing because you know what that means, right? Like some of you know that if, if somebody does something to your child, I would rather stand in front of a 350-pound muscly man with a gun than a small lady who's fighting for her child. Like that's, that is a ferocious thing to behold, and there is something unique that happens in the heart of a woman when an injustice is done to someone she loves. They will jump into action like a mama bear whose cubs have been taken away from them. And you know what's interesting? You know where we get that term from? God's word. God actually takes this characteristic upon himself so we have a better understanding about, about how he views sin. Look at it in Hosea chapter 13. He tells us that he will fall upon those that are sinners like a bear robbed of her cubs. Ferocious. Like women, you, you, you carry this unique gifting. That care for those you love, man, is something to be celebrated. It images God, and you stay out of the path of a woman who is protecting those that she cares for. Like there is a deep sense of desire to protect. Now, she will do it very different than the way a man does, but she does it nonetheless. And we get a better view of our God when we look at women that are functioning that way. Like, I love there's a book out called uh, Mama Bear Apologetics. It's not just in terms of injustices, but it's fighting for good doctrine, fighting for good discipleship. It's fighting for the cares of souls of, of kids and people that are in our places and in our proximity. Like women, you hold that, take pride in that because God's made you that way to point to him. Next is strength. We've all talked about the strength of the male physically, but I think that women often exhibit strength of will and character, and heart, uniquely reflects God. It's interesting, I was looking through some things, and I found a recent study that shows, for example, that in a moment of stress, men are more apt to act and act now, regardless of risk, right? They just kind of run headlong into whatever it is that's causing stress to fix the problem. But women, physiologically, they stay more collected, more thoughtful, 
And to quote the study itself, they kind of have this no need to rush this or take unnecessary risks mindset, meaning they react different to the same situations, creating balance. I think of Esther. Esther, who was faced with a tremendously difficult situation and was so strong in the midst of that situation that she was calm and collected, and she called Mordecai to call the people of Israel to fast and was willing to go into the king and say with a calm, cool, collected understanding, if I perish, I perish. And she was strong. And she saw and walked into those circumstances in a very different way than most men would, and look what God did through her unique. Now, I want to move away from things that are given to both and yet uniquely imaged, and I want to look at some things that are emphasized specifically in women, some specifically emphasized characteristics. Again, this doesn't mean that men don't have any of these, but it's emphasized in women. The first and foremost is compassion. In Luke chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus looks upon the people of Israel with compassion a longing to gather them under his, his wings like, like what? A mother hen. Men are called to be compassionate. But I'm just telling you right now, in my own home, I am so grateful for the natural compassion of my wife. Like She sees circumstances, and she sees the hurts of others and the pain of others, and she empathizes in ways that I don't naturally do, especially initially. And this is true of most women. Typically, men, like I... I mean, the most women that I meet are typically more in tune with their, the wounds and the pains of others, and therefore they're more apt to enter into the suffering of others. Just like Jesus. Like he sees our pain. And I love that he, he doesn't use men to describe his compassion for the people of Israel, but he uses women to describe his compassion for the people of Israel. You don't think that's on accident, right? Like he does it on purpose because he's uniquely wired them. Is also uniquely wired them to be tender. Women tend to be much more tender than men. Again, don't forget, I'm speaking in generalities here. This isn't bad. Men tend to need to be more tender. That's why we need the help of women around us. Again, this is a uniquely emphasized characteristic in, in the Scripture. Isaiah chapter 66 says, As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in, his, in Jerusalem. Again, God is not using men to communicate his tenderness and care. He's pointing us to a mother who comforts her children. Don't we need to be reminded of the tender care of God sometimes? Like in a unique way. And I hope that when you look at yourselves in the mirror, women, when you think about how you want to be, and you want to, I hope you want to take this image-bearing quality that he's naturally given most of you, and again, not all, but most, and, and leverage that and celebrate how God has made you to be. Next, women tend to emphasize God's nurture of life. This isn't just in motherhood, but it's also in spiritual life. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 26 says that a godly woman is one who opens her mouth with wisdom and teaching of kindness. Can't think, help but think of Lois and Eunice, it's mentioned in the New Testament, who poured themselves out and poured themselves into the life of Timothy and helped him form who he was. Women, you may not be the type of person who wants to hold every single baby, 
but I believe you are uniquely wired and gifted to exhibit God's image as one who walks along patiently with others, teaching wisdom and kindness. It's why naturally there are more women in the world of education, especially in the younger ages, than men. Let's just be honest. Like You can be a lot more patient, a lot more tender, a lot more compassionate, a lot more able to nurture that in our kids. Like women, God, with patience, teaches us in wisdom and kindness, even in the silliness of our youth. Like, even if you come to Jesus when you're 50 years old, like you're still a baby in faith, and he teaches you in wisdom and kindness in a way that's reflected in women that I think is so beautiful. Women, you also have a beauty and an adornment. I'm going to look again at Esther, chapter 2, verse 7. Speaking of her, the young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Lovely to look at. No offense, guys, we're not very lovely to look at. Just, we're not, right? I, I, I think that's true. Um, and I don't just say that because I'm a guy, but I think that that's just the reality. It's the way God has made it. Like, I truly believe, women, you were made this way because it reflects the true beauty of our Lord. Who is more beautiful to look at than our God? Like, he wants us to understand that he is beautiful. He wants us to understand that he is lovely to behold, beautiful to see, that when we see him, we will stand in awe. And I think that he has made women uniquely beautiful to consider how they adorn themselves because they want, he wants us, to, you women, to point to him. The beauty of a woman is meant to be a conduit to point back to the beauty of the one whose image you bear. Your beauty is not something to hide, it's something to be understood. Your value isn't in your beauty, it's in the one who made you, who died for you, who saved you, who gave you the image that he did. And so many have listened to the world say that their worth is in what they look like. And so you dress for attention. Maybe it's male attention, maybe it's female attention. Maybe you dress to belong or to be envied or to be made aware of, to see how others will think of you. And they, you, you want them to notice your physical appearance and be valued by the way you look. Maybe you're aware of what others think about you and how you look. You've been given beauty, but any beauty that you have, as Proverbs 31 says, reminds us it's in vain. It's useless unless it is true beauty of godliness. As First Timothy says, women, women, you should adorn yourselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Why? Because your purpose, your goal and image-bearing uniqueness is intended to draw attention not ultimately to you, but to the one who made you. So that you might say, as Jesus did in John chapter 12, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. Is that the goal of your adornments? Gals, young girls, young women, Older ladies, like when you get up in the morning and you put your clothes on and you put on your jewelry and you put on the makeup and you do all the stuff to the barn door that you're doing, all right? When you're doing that, 
Why are you doing that? When you look at the mirror, is the goal of what you're doing to clothe yourself in a way that draws attention to you or to clothe yourself away in such a way that draws attention through you to Jesus? Through you to Jesus. Man, I, I wish that every single, we wouldn't even have the conversation of modesty in our day and age. And by the way, I'm not even arguing that this has anything to do with men, has anything to do with what men's problems are. It has to do with whose attention are you pointing to? Whose attention do you want? When you go out in public and you're wearing something that you know to be immodest and you're wearing it in a way that's drawing attention to you, you're going against how God made you, which is to draw attention to him who is far more beautiful than you. This is who you are. And he's made you beautiful to remind us all of the beauty of the one who made you. So live in accordance with that. Dress in accordance with that. Let that be your purpose and your goal and your life. And recognize the danger of trying to draw attention to yourself by your own beauty, your own adornments, and the way you dress. Because you can get attention easy. Just go to the gym. See women that are constantly looking for, and they get exactly the attention that they want. Now, with each of the things that we've talked about today, the truth is Satan would desire to twist every single one of them, but I don't think there's any more clearly twisted than this one today. God made you beautiful so that your glory might reflect his beauty. Live with that as your purpose. Finally, two things that are unique only to women in Scripture. The first is that he made each and every one of you a helper. Some of you recoil from that. Let me just tell you, there is no slight in that term. There is no shame in that term. And in fact, shame on our culture and a culture that would make it a shameful thing to be a helper because God himself is the helper of his people. His very spirit is given to each of us and he is characterized by being our helper. Is he less than us because he's our helper? What does it signify to say that we need the help of God? It means we need him. Like We're not able to do the things that we want to do or can do or are called to do without his help. Women, you bear this unique image of the king of kings. You are made as a helper. It means this. Men are not capable of fully bearing God's image or carrying out the mandate without the image-bearing counterpart of a woman. And I'm not saying that you have to be married to seeing that work itself out. It works itself out in our relationships as we work in businesses and work environments and in the church. Like, we need the help of women. And you just consider the idea of submission. And no, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that. But it doesn't mean passivity. It doesn't mean weakness. Biblical submission doesn't mean just rolling over. It means that women, within a marriage or in another environment, that you submit your wisdom, your knowledge, your help, your uniqueness, your skills to your husbands, to those that are around you, trusting that they would recognize their own weakness, their own incompleteness, and that they would humbly listen. We would be fools not to listen to our helpers. Because when we don't listen, we say we don't need it. We don't need help. Like, we're good enough. Like, we've got it figured out on our own. And men have, that's the last thing in the world that men are, is capable to do it on their own. Men headship, 
represents your responsibility, yes, to bear the weight of care, protection, and provision, and Christ-like love and leadership in the home, but headship is about laying yourself down for your families and in humility, having open ears to your wives, and that the women in your life, knowing you need their unique, God-reflecting insights to be whole. Do you see that? Do you recognize it? Some of y'all have been married long enough to know, like, I do. And again, it's not just marriage. It's in every sphere of life. Women, celebrate that you are a helper. You have components, wisdom, insight, men do not have, period. We need your help. We need your help. It's the reality of it. Lastly, something that is unique only to women that I had never thought of before studying this, and I think it is so profound, and I wish I had time to talk about more of it, but women have this unique ability to sustain life. Women bear life. They sustain it. They are life givers. And what's fascinating about women, and and when it comes to having babies, the culture would say that it's bad, It's a burden, it's a weight, it's a hindrance, it's a sacrifice, it's something that gets in the way, it's something that changes your body, it's something that does all these bad things, but women, you bear the unique image of God as a life giver, as a sustainer. Every single time a woman gets pregnant, it should remind us that there is no life unless we are born again by God. No life. There is no life for any of us that can be sustained on our own without the Spirit of God in us. Like we have to be sustained by Him. And there is no life-giving and life-sustaining power that doesn't cost the one who gives it. Jesus, it costs His life. And as a result of His work, we are able to be born again and sustained as believers. And every time we see a pregnant woman, like we should be reminded of that unique thing that God has done in our lives as believers in Jesus Christ. Men don't get that privilege. We don't get to understand what it's like. We don't get to understand the the, the costs to our bodies. We don't get to understand those things. Women do. And then what a beautiful thing that is. And the culture would try to tell us that that's a bad thing. That it's just a parasite living inside of you. No. You get to sustain life in a way that bears the image of the life-giving God who sustains every single one of us every single day. Again, there's so much that we could flesh out with this, this unique image-bearing quality, and I just don't have time for it today, but I do want to close with this. Women, if you live your lives seeking to uniquely bear the image of God in every single thing you do, if the vision for your life whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're a mother, whether you're a daughter, whether you're a student, whether you're a doctor, whether you're an engineer, whatever you are, if you seek to live your life as a woman who works and creates as God has called you to, as a woman who seeks to provide for those that are in your care and those that are in your proximity, as a woman who seeks to protect ferociously those that are victim of any injustice, whether it's your kids or others in your circle of influence, women who seek strength of character and heart and will, women who have compassion and tenderness to those that are around them, including the needy, women who nurture life, whether it's biological, adopted, or discipleship, 
Women who adorn themselves with godliness and draw people to see Jesus instead of themselves. Women who seek to be helpers in a way that only you can. And women who see the beauty of the gift that you've been given to sustain life. Then we will see an army of fierce and lovely women who are something to behold. Whether you are a mother of five or a spiritual mother of a hundred. Whether you are a wife and a mother caring for the home or a wife and a mother who is a doctor, or any number of other vocations. I pray that this is an encouragement to you. Not to let the culture dictate to you what makes you special, and what makes you beautiful, and what puts you and makes you into the image of God, but you look to the word of God to discern and understand your purpose, who you are, how you've been wired, how you've made, and you live into that with boldness and courage as women of God. Let me pray for us. Father, um, so much. There's so much in this text. So much to just be reminded of that we are made in the image of God, that women are made in the image of God and not in the exact same way that men are. And so, Lord, I want to pray this week that you would help us to continue to talk about these things, to flesh these things out, to work through them in our own hearts, our own minds. But, Father, you would also help us to see Father, I pray that you would help men to see how they can be praying for the women in their lives, how they can be encouraging the women in their lives, how they can be humbly dying to themselves and laying themselves down and listening to the wisdom of the women in our lives, how we can be praying for our granddaughters and our daughters. Father, I want to pray for the women in this room that you would help them to have a new vision for what it is to be a woman. A woman approved by their creator, bearing his image uniquely. Give us the wisdom and the strength to do that. To not be scared to acknowledge difference. Difference in this world seems to be shameful. It seems to be frowned upon. It seems to be demonized. But you have made us different and beautiful and good. May we live in accordance with that. May we represent it as a church. And may we step into those callings that you've given to us. Father, I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen.